Welcome to the Medical Sales Certification Podcast. This is Colby Wood. And on this podcast, we take a deep dive into medical sales and in particular, orthopedic medical sales, where I do my best to share with you everything that I have learned up to this point and document really the day-to-day sales calls and meetings and interactions I'm having so that you can learn from my experiences and hopefully help you become more successful in your career as well. So without any further ado, please enjoy today's podcast. What's up, everybody? Uh, This is Colby Wood with the Medical Sales Certification Podcast. I have a very, uh, very first and very special podcast this uh, this time, and it is an interview with an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brian Gruber, out of Phoenix slash Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, This is a doctor that I've been interacting with online for a period of time through Instagram, and uh, I was in town for a wedding. Uh, flew out there for a wedding and was able to sit down with him on a Saturday morning and record this podcast. And one of the kind of the evolution of this podcast, one of the things that I want to do is start uh, interviewing more orthopedic surgeons and maybe even expanding outside orthopedic surgeons to other relevant people that medical sales reps interact with on a daily basis. And uh, and so that is my plan. But I do I don't ask a whole lot from all you people that listen to this podcast, but uh, what I am needing from you from this podcast is you need to go follow Dr. Brian Gruber. You can follow him on Instagram. Uh, just search Dr. Brian Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R. Uh, he's out of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona area. He posts things on there constantly, uh, actual surgical cases, uh, him talking about uh, procedures and patients and things like that. Not only is it going to be valuable information for you, But it's a way for me, as the person that's putting on these podcast episodes, to be able to go to new and other orthopedic surgeons and bring them value. You know, that's the fundamental thing on my end is if I go to an orthopedic surgeon and say, hey, I want you to be on my medical sales podcast, I'm going to be able to bring them value. And part of that is them being able to acquire listeners or followers or awareness from the audience that I have. And so it's, if these are, if this type of a podcast, uh, being able to, you know, listen to me actually interview an orthopedic surgeon or somebody that's in the medical field that's relevant, if this is the type of podcast you would like to see me do more of, I need your support in, uh, in following him and, uh, in consuming his content. So please, uh, check him out. I'll leave all the, uh, all the ways to get in touch with him, uh, and the ways to follow him online. I'll leave those in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, without any further ado, please, uh, please enjoy this podcast. All right. Welcome to the medical sales certification podcast. This is Colby Wood. Uh, very excited for our guest today, Dr. Brian Gruber. He's joining us on the podcast. First of all, uh, much appreciated for you to take time out of your day. You know, this is a Saturday and there's plenty of other things you can be doing. So I thoroughly appreciate it. I hope that, uh, we can bring the listener value and hopefully bring you value as well, uh, through having you on here. And first and foremost, anybody that's listening to this, please follow Dr. Gruber online. And I'll put in the show notes, all the, uh, all the places to follow you online. Um, but thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Colby. Thanks for making it from Chicago, <laughs> Arizona. Appreciate that. Yep. 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 I, uh, I had interacted with Dr. Gruber and one of his assistants, uh, about a year ago, uh, a little bit less, but we just never really connected. And, and I was out here for a wedding. And so we were able to make it happen. 
So I appreciate it. Um, quick backgrounds on Dr. Gruber to bring you guys up to speed. Um, Dr. Gruber is a fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, you did your undergrad schooling at Newman University in Kansas, and you were an All-American baseball player, academic All-American baseball player. Correct. Uh, and then you went to medical school at University of Illinois in Chicago, and you did your orthopedic residency at the University of Michigan, and a fellowship in sports medicine at Washington University. But you also did an M MBA along with the MD. Is that correct? Correct. And is that a single program that you did, an MD MBA program? No. Or is that separate? That was that, you know, so when I was, uh, you know, I was probably at that point five years in the practice. I saw okay. the value of, you know, getting my MBA. So I took time out of my practice. I think what had a good, Interesting. yeah, a good team around me where I could travel out to Southern California, you know. Uh, yeah. Every other week for a couple of years, wow. and it was a SC, and uh, I was uh, really glad I did it. Very nice. Uh, out of curiosity, my brother-in-law, he's in medical school right now, and he was actually looking at an MD MBA program. He decided not to go that route, but you know, at what level do you feel like the taking your MBA has helped you in medicine and maybe the practice of medicine and what that looks like for you as you are running your own independent practice? For sure, you know, the landscape of medicine is clearly changing and it has, and I think that for me, the, it was probably more important to do my MBA after I had practiced for a while versus, you know, there's some sort of MD, MBA programs and, you know, you really haven't been out in the real world yet. So I think that for me, at least, the, the you know, the ability to sort of see sort of some of my, if you want to call it shortcomings from a business side. Um, and I don't think you have to, you know, have an MBA to run a great business, clearly. You know, but I think yeah. for me, the way I learn and the way I understand things, it helped me from the structure, yeah. from a structure standpoint. You know, so it was really, yeah. you know, it's been very beneficial and, and part of the, you know, not just the, the school part of it, but the network that you're able yeah. to, to develop. Yeah. You know, because there are people that are doing things that, you know, or Apple, Google, Disney, things of that nature where, I typically don't run across those folks. You know, it's kind of interesting because they don't run across guys like me either. Yeah. You know, so there's yeah. definitely that sharing of information that they're kind of, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by what they do and, and vice versa where, you know, I'm yeah. sort of, you know, operating on somebody's shoulder and I'm sitting in an MBA class and they find that pretty interesting. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, what I thought we would do is give a quick snapshot kind of where you're at in your practice now before we kind of backtrack, do a little, give a little bit of your background and your story. You're currently running your own practice here, Integrated Orthopedics in Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, this area here in the Valley. What does that practice, what does that look like for you and kind of your decision to go as an independent practitioner? Yes. I mean, I think it's still, you know, in this, in this, you know, climate, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, physicians that are sort of you know joining big groups and hospital systems and I really like the autonomy you know and the ability yep. to sort of service our patients you know very well in, in doing it you know kind of through our practice uh, it's not easy to do you know anymore but it's definitely um, you know it's doable mm -hmm. and you know it's, it's just you know working hard and be able to really add value um, uh, for you know for the lives of patients yeah and it's it seems like it would also be beneficial from a patient perspective to know that you have all of their patient needs taken care of under one roof. Now that obviously takes a lot more bandwidth than if you were, you know, seeing patients in clinic and you pass them off to PT or MRIs and, and you're not a part of that. But the fact of having that more or less under one roof, that's gotta be beneficial, I would imagine, for your patients. It is, and I think it's the model, you know, hence the name integrated, you know, I mean, we really are. And I think that that, 
serves our patients really well and they appreciate that and it really it's pretty obvious once patients are in the system that they see that and they see yeah. the kind of the, the you know the value that we bring to them to their health care which is obviously super important to them yeah yeah absolutely i can imagine well let's go back a little bit um i guess first and foremost when did you know you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon well, it's kind of cliche, but I did hurt myself playing baseball, <laughs> which is not a unique story. So it's not, it's not an awesome story. I assume an arm injury. Yeah, I did. I hurt myself and uh, I hurt my elbow when I was a kid. And, you know, I was either going to be a pro ball player, which clearly didn't work out. Or, you know, when I hurt myself and I went to the uh, 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 ortho, uh, he, I was like, this is, it's a cool job. I mean, that's really cool, yeah. you know, to be able to sort of like help, you know, that, at that point I saw like helping baseball players. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, but and then and then for me it, it just went on from there where it was, it was i'm a visual guy you know yeah. so i mean x-rays and mris and kind of you know working with my hands I, I clearly enjoy that and it was it was really you know beneficial and i'll tell you you know the the, the longer you know the, you you don't really know what you got until you kind of be able to reflect on it and i think the fact that i had that goal so early mm-hmm. you know i was just on that path and i was able to sort of involve myself into areas of orthopedics early on you know, and that definitely, yeah. you know, was beneficial throughout my career, at least getting there, because RFPX is pretty competitive, Very, you know, yeah. and it's one of those things where I was able to sort of kind of, you know, shoot myself, shoot myself into to areas, research and things like that early on. Yeah. And I think that that helped, that helped me a lot yeah. to be able to do that. Did you have, uh, as far as parenting, did they push you in one direction at all? Uh, did they assist you or was this more or less kind of your decision you're like this is what i want to do and, and they back you on that or what did what did that look like well there's ortho in the family but it's actually orthodontics <laughs> so they wanted well, me to, yeah my dad my mom and dad they really wanted me to do that and i was like i don't want to do that like that just wasn't for me you know yeah, so yeah. they were super supportive and i was blessed in that regard where you know my my family just was you know, because you miss a lot of stuff. I mean, you have a lot of commitments, you know, holidays and things of that nature as you're going through this process, which is pretty, you know, pretty you know, strenuous and it's a lot of time and, yeah. you know, over years and years. So it's not, you know, a, a six month deal. Um, so they were super supportive. And, and again, that's another thing you kind of look back on. I was very fortunate from that standpoint to have that support for my family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you did, uh, you obviously were a skilled baseball player to be able to play in college. Um, what was that like being a student athlete and also knowing that you wanted to go the orthopedic surgery route? I, I can only imagine, I obviously played college sports as well. That that's, and I'm not an orthopedic surgeon by any means, but that is very much a, uh, time. It's very challenging from a time standpoint, from a bandwidth and, and being able to, to juggle both. What was that like in, in undergraduate? Yeah. So the, you know, with the, the sports part of it, you know, the, the, you know, rigors of, you know, academics and as well as athletics, you know, and both have rigors, if you will, it's the weight room and all the things that are demanded of you. Um, it was good. You know, it really kept me kind of focused up because I knew that kind of the time I had for studying was really study time, yeah. you know, and there was always a little bit of college time, if you will, but for the most part, you know, baseball also, um, you know, both together kind of kept me, kind of kept me level, if you will. Yeah. And it's interesting. So where I went was, at Newman, which is a small school, but we, we were pretty successful, you know, at, at our college of getting people into, you know, higher level education. And one of my, two of my roommates are both actually orthopedic surgeons now. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's pretty wild. It's a small little school in Kansas. That's wild. Yeah. Where, where yeah. do they practice? One of my friends is in, uh, both actually in Kansas. 
Okay. So it's uh, uh, Brad Dart is in uh, Wichita, and he does uh, trauma orthopedics. Okay. And then uh, John Anderson is in uh, uh, Kansas City, and he does pediatric orthopedics. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. You know, real small school. You know, two of my buddies actually end up in ortho. Yeah. 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 So then you went to uh, you went to UIC after that for med school. How did you uh, how did you decide on UIC? I know that you're originally from Southern Illinois, correct? Yeah, so Illinois is kind of an interesting. So the med school is actually the, it, you know, at least at that time it was the biggest one in the country. Got so it. Got I came it. from a small town in Southern Illinois. I went to Wichita, which to me was pretty big. Now looking at it, you know, it's half a million folks. So sure. which was a great place for me, but it, you know, not like a huge metro. But yeah. coming from a town of ten thousand, it was pretty big. Yeah. You know, so then yeah. when I was at Illinois, you have the choice of going either to Champaign. Or okay. to to Chicago, got it. And I felt that that for my kind of you know growth as a person, that I should probably try really the big city. Yeah. And I'm super glad I did that because it was it, Chicago was great for me. And uh, so that was that was sort of the path. Yeah, yeah. What did uh, did you live downtown in? in uh, I lived Chicago? in Lily. Okay. So it was good. I lived at Rosebud, which is a pretty cool place. Uh, it's kind of old school Italian. Yeah. So I lived in a, a in a brownstone. I could actually. Gets back to baseball, throw a baseball and hit it. So <laughs> Little Italy was cool, you know. It was uh, and it was really close, you know, the way Illinois is. You know, you've got Rush, Illinois, yeah. um, VA, all the medical Westside Medical yeah. Centers right yeah. there. So and then we were just a you know a quick uh, um, uh, car ride to the city. So it wasn't. Uh, so I had you know a little bit of time to you know, kind of monkey around the city, but it was yeah. fun. Yeah, very cool. And then obviously, uh, I would be excited to learn about your residency. At the University of Michigan, yeah, um, go blue. Obviously, go blue. I like that. What uh, what took you there, and uh, how did you decide on going to Michigan? Yeah, so Michigan had a great sports program. You know, obviously, reputationally, it's you know a, a, you know, center of excellence, not only in orthopedics but really throughout all you know disciplines. I mean, it's really. You know, it's being there. It's you know, you look at you know these programs, and they're they're just really, really solid uh, programs from you know neurosurgery, ENT, urology. I mean, they're just it's really a, a, a you know a, 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 a group of folks that are just very knowledgeable, very bright, and mm -hmm. you know that was something that I didn't really think about before I went there. But getting there and and, and going through that. You know, and having buddies that are dis other disciplines like that, it was yeah. it was it's really a special place. Very cool. So obviously, you did uh, you did your residency at Michigan, and then you went to do fellowship at WashU yes. in St. Louis. Uh, what took you there, and uh, what uh, how was that experience? Again, it was sort of the sports theme. You know, where when, a lot of the the fellowship programs take care of the you know the uh, professional teams. You okay. know, uh, so. Um, you know, the uh, WashU just, you know, had, you know, an excellent sports program, you know, the didactics were great, you know, and I thought I could get a lot of hands-on experience. That's really what that last year's about, you know, is, is uh, you kind of focus in on one specific area and then you really try to hone your skills. Yeah. And, you know, you really want to get the ability to, when you leave a fellowship program, which you do not have to, so general orthopedics, you know, is five years and, yeah. you know, you could go out and hang your shingle and do, you know, rotator cuffs and ACLs, however... You know, the thought was that, you know, you really, really get good at that. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of what you focus on for that entire year. So when you leave that type of a program, you feel very comfortable, you know, specifically with those cases. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is something that I feel like at least the general population, in my experience, family members who have asked me, I've got an orthopedic injury, who do I go see? Um, you know, maybe it's not that well understood, but you do your residency, you can become a 
general practitioner, see patients, do your thing, but doing an actual fellowship program gives you that specialized care in whatever kind of niche of orthopedics that you want to be in. And I would imagine, um, you know, that certainly helped you not only be better with your patients, um, be more confident, but also uh, differentiate yourself in the market versus some of the other doctors that may not have had that specialized training. Is that kind of how you see that as well? Um, or what, you know, I guess in addition to that, maybe what else did you take from your doing your specialized fellowship training into practice that you feel like has really helped? Yeah, I mean, I do think that you get the, you know, confidence with the, the, the particular sports cases, but, you know, it doesn't stop there where, you know, you're continuing to add is super important. You yeah. know, I go to yeah. you know, at least three meetings a year, you know, and I think that, you know, because my, like, my fellowship was, you know, 13 years ago. So, yeah. you know, that's a long time and things have really changed, you know, so mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, that gives you kind of that initial out of the gate, a nice start. But, you know, it's always continuing to improve and, you know, making sure that you're staying up on things, you know, cutting edge and, you know, not too cutting edge. You understand, you know, where, where what things still need to be vetted a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that the fellowship is definitely not mandatory. You know, I mean, yeah. I think there, there are great surgeons who don't do a fellowship. Yeah. But, you know, I think that the fellowship definitely gives you, you know, opportunity to, you know, get out of the gate fast. Yeah. So your practice now and from following you online, seeing what you're doing, uh, you're posting things routinely. I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what your practice looks like as far as what you're treating. But, you know, from your perspective, obviously, is more important. What are the type of procedures, patients that you're seeing and treating? Is there is it specific to maybe a subset of orthopedics or are you seeing pretty much any orthopedic injury? Yeah, you know, I think that we... Uh you know, we, we see a lot of, uh, you know, we see a lot of people. And I mm -hmm. think the interesting thing is that, you know, people see surgery and, you know, the vast majority of our patients really is non-surgical. Yeah. You know, it really is. You know, the stuff that we post is surgery, but, you know, on a, on a day that you may see, you know, say 50 patients, you, you know, you may, only 10 of those may be surgical, for example. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing fractures, you're seeing things that are, you know, not treated non-operatively. Yeah. Um, so... The, and of course, post ops. You know, mm -hmm. make sure patients are doing well after surgery. But you know, a lot of the orthopedics, and I think a lot of people feel that when they come to a surgeon, they think that they're going to have you know surgery kind of shoved down their throat, and it's just a surgery. You know, you're going to surgeon, and it must be surgery. You know, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that we do a pretty good job of being able to offer options for folks, yeah. and you know, that's that's you know really important to us to be able to do that for sure. But well, yeah, we see back to your question. You know, we see you know kids, you know, like 10 year old that breaks their wrist, you know, mm -hmm. we'll see that, we'll cast it, you know, that's rarely surgical, for example, yep. you know, we'll see all the way up to, you know, somebody that's uh, 90 and, and, you know, nobody really wants mom and dad to have a shoulder operation or a total knee, so we'll treat that patient with injections and yep. whatever we can to, you know, get them feeling better. Yeah, and, and there's definitely a lot of kind of forward thinking uh, procedures and offerings you know, especially maybe even in the fourth biologic space and things like that, that um, kind of are coming into vogue of like, whether it's better research, better understanding, better outcomes that we're seeing the longer term studies that say this works for that, this works for that. I'm sure you're probably seeing a lot of patients that come to you and say, you know, I've got this injury, but I don't want surgery. Right. But you're able to, you know, at, at some level, you are staying on the cutting edge of what those options are for those patients. Correct. You know, and in that space, I think it's very important to, 
from a transparency standpoint, from trying to stay, you know, in, you know, kind of up to date. I was just in Chicago, where you are now. Yeah. Uh, it's a meeting called TOBI, Orthobiological yeah. Institute, and their, this year is their 10th anniversary. And, you know, it really is, you know, mandatory for people that are practicing in the space to really understand, you know, what they're delivering to their patients, you know, how mm-hmm. you explain it to their pa- to your patients. Um, because there's a lot of things out there. Um, I mean, for for example, a lot of the patients that I see for biologic consults, I don't offer biologics to. Mm-hmm. You know, because it really, you know, after talking to them, looking at their studies and stuff, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, so this is kind of a space that is continue is, is there, there's more regulation at this point, which there needs to be. You're seeing the FDA kind of come come in a little bit more with this. So, you know, I think it's it's you know. Is a you know provider, it's it's you know kind of you know super important you know to make sure that patients understand you know what they're what they're getting, what the goals yeah. are, you know real, what really yeah. the limitations are for biologics because sure. it clearly has limitations. It's not the fountain of youth. It's not going <laughs> it's not going to regrow your joint. True. You know, but you hear people come in and you're not really sure where they're picking these the, these things up at you mm-hmm. know on the web or seminars or whatever, and there are some expectations that really are going to be <coughs> challenging to meet at best. You know, so I think that that's, uh, but it's, that being said, it's a super, it's a very exciting space, you sure. know, I and mean, that really is the future, you yeah. know, is from a, you know, regenerative standpoint to be able to sort of, you know, but it's, we're still early in, in the game yeah. and there's more questions than answers for yeah. sure. Trying to figure out where that fits in the treatment protocol for patients. Correct. Correct. And I do, I do like the fact that we offer that, yeah. you know, because a lot of the places uh, are, you know, non-operative clinics. And, you know, I like the fact that, you know, somebody's got a flip bucket handle meniscus tear, for example, uh, and, you know, they're asking about, you know, biologics, yeah. you know, but, you know, it's like you should probably just get it fixed. Yeah. You know, a, you know, a, a bone marrow or a PRP is not going to unflip your meniscus, for example. Right. You know, but I mean, a lot of yeah. the patients don't know. How would you expect them to? Totally. You know, so, I mean, they come to us as, you know, experts and yeah. really lean on us, you know, to make sure that they're you know, getting the best information. Yeah, yeah, that's vital, that's vital. It, it really is hard to, uh, when you're when you're sitting at home trying to be an armchair physician, diagnose your own treatments, your own problems, like, oh, no, I think I got this, and you know, you're going on the WebMD and whatnot. Um, you really do need to go see the expert Correct. that knows what they're doing, Correct. that has seen, like, there's no patient that has the, like, this is not the first time you've seen this. You know, you've treated these patients hundreds of times. That's right. That is, uh, it's, it, I laugh about it because it's, I can only imagine being in your shoes, seeing patients come in and then saying, yeah, I think I got this. I think I need that. It's like, hold on. <laughs> right. Then you see it. You know, I think for the most part, the most patients, they kind of, they most typically will defer, sure. you know, but sure. I mean, I like, it's, you know, I appreciate it when, you know, the biologic consults are typically a long consult. It's not a quick five minute deal. I mean, to really kind of do, you know, kind of due diligence to the subject. You know, you kind of need to you know go over a little bit of the history and kind of where we've been with biologics and yeah. where we're going. Yeah. And it's it's it, there's a lot of really exciting research that is you know currently happening. So we're going to have more answers over the next year or two um, as far as you know which you know procedures are best for folks and, yeah. and with, with the best application. Because right now, for example, like PRP, there you know we have all you know many different you know. Companies are involved in the space, and there's you know different you know kind of what call concoctions of PRP. So it's not all the same. So mm-hmm. one PRP that you get across you know across the way is not 
the same as say for what we do, for example. Sure. You know, so I mean that's um, part of even though you kind of lump it all in the PRP, yeah. you yeah. know, it's easy to see it as one big group, but there's a lot of differences. In Correct. The, in the actual end product that you're reinjecting. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Got. It. Well, I'd like to transition a little bit onto the actual sales side of things. Yeah. And uh, and get your honest, very honest uh, feedback on it. You know, because that is. Uh, one thing that I, I honestly try to do with this podcast is is provide people an actual, real understanding of what it looks like as a medical sales rep. Uh-huh. Which um, you know, it, there when you say a medical sales rep, that's a very broad category. So you know, for for the sake of this conversation, obviously we're probably going to be talking more surgical orthopedic sales rep, right? Um, I guess first and foremost, out of curiosity. You know, you come out of your practice or you come out of your fellowship 13 years ago and you start as an attending physician. What does that look like when you start developing relationships with reps as a young surgeon? Well, it's interesting because at Michigan, we did not have a lot of reps in the room, which was interesting. Um, For example, you know, I remember trauma. We would, you know, all the nails, you know, for like tibia fractures Mm -hmm. and femur fractures were outside the room, you know, so some of the... The circulator would just go grab them. Yeah, you know, so there was actually not a ton of representation at the cases. Yeah, and when I went to my fellowship, it definitely got heavier. So the sports med folks were typically in the room, and I was like, "That's pretty sweet." Yeah. you know, like you know, with the anchors and you know all the implants that we might use, yeah. and you know, as, as we all know, sports orthopedics in general super heavy implants. You know, yeah. for people that aren't familiar, maybe first time <clears throat> listeners. Um, you know, there's a ton of implants or pH, probably, uh, I can't imagine others, especially having more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look on the, I remember when I first, I was doing a shadowing thing in Illinois before I was in, it was when I was in college and a guy was, uh, doing a, uh, a hip fracture and I just walked in the room and I saw like the, the table and the trays yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to use all this stuff. Like all this, I mean, it was like, you know, you know how it is. Yeah. It's like yeah. tons of stuff. Yeah. And obviously you're only going to use about six things, but it's all clean and it's all ready and sizes. And it's almost like you're selling shoes and you've got, you know, you know, all the different sizes in the back and you're really only going to grab one. You just don't yeah. know until the, that's until right. The first, that's right. So you have, shows up and uh-huh. says size, you know, 10 and you got to have a 10. But in the shoe store, you don't see all the other shoes, <laughs> you know, but in the, in the room, you see all of them, if you will. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like, I was like, wow, this is a ton of stuff. And. Um, so that being said, you know, it's one of those, you know, now, you know, we have, you know, great representation, uh, you know, pretty much throughout all our sport, really all the cases now, you know, the trauma cases, the sports cases. And I think that, you know, it, 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 it's really, you know, I think it's beneficial from a team standpoint, you know, to have that there. Yeah. I, you know, my, I've been doing it seven, over seven years now. And obviously when I started, the industry has changed a lot, even in my short period of time, but my understanding is that there was a lot more training for the staff on products. Like, for example, what I've been told, maybe this is wrong, but what I've been told is, you know, like the circulators and the scrub techs, like Synthes would take them and train them on their stuff so that the rep didn't necessarily need to be there. But at some level, I don't know that that necessarily happens anymore. It's much more of a, well, we're going we're gonna to train the doctor to get him to use our product, but then we're going to have to be there to support the staff. And, and part of that could be the growing number, like you had mentioned, of volume of products. You know, it, it'd be hard for uh, scrub tech at a, at a multi-specialty facility to know how to do, you know, the sports medicine products. And, and maybe you've got, you know, five different surgeons and they use five different products. 
right. you know, or, and then you've got trauma guys and you've got general, you know, I don't know. That's, is that kind of how you've seen it as well? Um, as far as the, there's less focus training the staff members and maybe more focus just one-to-one, I'm trying to sell my product to a doctor versus, you know, the facility maybe as a whole. Yeah, I don't see a lot of like direct staff training. You know, I mean, I think the staff kind of learns by osmosis where, you yep. know, if you're working with the same person, you know, day in, day out, I mean, inherently they're going to learn sort of what the kind of the, you know, the anchor box is and what the, the tap and the, you know, the implant itself, all mm-hmm. that, you know, I think that where you can kind of get, you know, if you're, you know, on call, for example, and you're coming in at, you know, 12 at night and you've got somebody who typically runs, you know, OBGYN room they're going to be completely yeah. lost. They just yeah. don't know. And, and, you know, so it's almost like too much to teach everybody everything mm-hmm. about, you know, <coughs> if you want to even call it surgery, you know, because those sure. folks are, especially when they're on call and it's pretty typical, you know, they're going to cover everything, you know, general surgery, vascular surgery, clearly orthopedics, you know, but, you know, you have people that just aren't familiar with it, yeah. you know, and, and I think that that's really where, the, you know, having a good, you know, rep in the room is, you know, just it, it, again, it's part of the team, you yeah. know, and it just makes the the room run run, you know, much more smooth uh, than it would otherwise. Yeah. Well, we obviously won't be mentioning names, but you know, what in your opinion, let's say, separates or that you've seen anecdotally um, separates the reps that are actually bringing value that you either whether it's trust, like, supporting you. What are the good reps doing that? the reps that you've worked with that are not as strong, that you don't have confidence in, what are they doing differently? Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, like paying attention. So if I was sort of to guide, you know, guide a, you know, kind of a, somebody that's green right out of the gates, I think for your position specifically, you know, you do a rotator cuff, you take some notes, like you mm-hmm. keep a notebook, like how's Gruber do a rotator cuff repair? Yeah. You know, and I think what anchors does he use? You know, how's, how's he positioned? Things like that, which, yeah. you know, become very apparent that somebody kind of knows what you do, you know, getting all the, you know, everything open, you know, mm-hmm. when you know it's going to be a rotator cuff repair, um, you know, that that's, I think, what can help separate people, yeah. you know, versus having to ask for everything. Sure. You know, it's almost like you understand, okay, well, this clearly is going to be a rotator cuff repair. I need to open cannulas, you know, 5.5 five anchors, you know, and then you sort of, you know, rely on us to, if we're kind of, kind of tweak it out a little mm-hmm. bit, hey, open this, open this. You know, but I think that that is, um, you know, from what the people that I've worked with, mm-hmm. you know, I think, but I, like sort of initially it's sort of like you understand how, you know, you know, physician X you know, does his cases, yeah. his or her cases, you know? Yeah. And it's far beyond just understanding, well, the five, five anchor uses the silver bunch, you know, correct. At some level you need to know, you know, Dr. Gruber does his rotator cuffs and his ACLs and his. You know, whatever. Well, that's in here, Brian. Right. You don't whatever. Know, if you don't know, know some of the basic stuff, then you can go back to school. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> what right. I mean. That, yeah, actually, so I mean, it's just like higher level stuff that you know. That's that's basic stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just like mm-hmm. you, you should. That stuff's a given that you know what goes with your implant. Yeah, you know, yep. you should know your implant back, you know, forward and backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then it's sort of like you know, with the uh, surgeon specific stuff. Yeah, you know, and I think you know being aware. You know, I, um, you know, some of the other things, you know, just staying, you know, staying, you know, paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, not mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, yeah. stepping up when you're called upon. It's right. like you're watching the case, you right. understand what's going on, hypo- you know, understanding anatomy, you know, mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, is this a job or is it your career? Like, what are you going for? You know, do yeah. you really want to be engaged with this? Do you want to understand, you know, do you understand the rotator cuff? You know, I, I think that 
that being able to sort of have a, a conversation on that level yeah. on some, is, is a good thing. You know, read. You know, I think that's an important part of it where it's just not opening boxes. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, would, I would say I've certainly had the experience of, you know, being in the room where you see the rep who clearly, at least the way they are be, being perceived by the surgeon and the staff and everybody else in the room, they're there just to open their product. They don't actually know what's going on. They're not really engaged, but you know, you say, "Oh, I need this product," and they they sprint over to their box, but you know, open up as quickly as they can because that's what they're there for, right? You know? Or at least that is how they're perceived as what they're there for. Not necessarily, I'm here to, to support the case. I value, make sure this patient does well, make sure that you have what you need, and I, you know, I'm there to answer a question if need be, right? You know, um, what what about also understanding competitive products? I would say, at least anecdotally in my experience, I've been able to, uh, and maybe not necessarily with the surgeon directly, but at least with the staff, if I can help them with, you know, pulling another company's implant and getting them set up like that, there's a certain level of trust and confidence that they would then have in me and like me and want to support me knowing other companies' products. Do you see that as well? Is that like impactful for you or is that more something that's, that's valuable for the staff, but that's not really something that is going to make or break anything on your end. No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about patient care, and if somebody's product is, is you know, needed at that time, and that, you know, rep is not around, you know, the just saying, okay, well, I understand, you know, how that product works, and I'll help you, you know, through that, if it's mm -hmm. a, you know, meniscal repair, or a device that maybe you're not as familiar with, but you're like, yes. this is a great indication for it. You know, because at the end of the day, it's about, you know, great outcomes and providing, yeah. you know, excellent patient care. And, and I think that, the, you know, the, the, the people that I work with, you know, have no issue doing that. Clearly, you want to sell your own product. I get that. We all get that. Sure. You know, but sure. at the end of the day, you, you want to, everyone wants to leave that room knowing that we did the best job that we could for our patients. Absolutely. And if that takes opening up a competitor's product, you know, to help with that. You know, I think that that is just the, clearly the right thing to do. Absolutely. And you want to align yourself with those people, you know, not somebody that basically is like, I don't know, and they walk out of the room or something, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. you know. Call, call that guy. Right. Call that rep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to have, you again, you want to, you know, work with those types of people. And that's just being, you know, really just kind of a reasonable person, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's important to, to know, you know, some of the, you know, Limitations not only of your own products, but so you know, you know, having understanding of the competitors' products too. Yeah, you know what may be better, what may what may what may lack a little. For sure, for sure. Um, oh, I've got a there. This is another kind of similar to that, but has to do with kind of your decision making on the products that you use. And the, and the reason that I ask this is because I've been in multiple interviews to this point in my career, and. In at last, in at least three of them, I recall specifically being asked this question, and it was, you know, product rep and company. Out of a hundred percent, using a hundred percent as like the the gross sum, what weight in percentage would you give product rep and company? Now, there's kind of two sides of the coin. It's you know, from from the rep standpoint, how much of me getting a doctor to use a product is the product itself, how much is me as the rep, and how much is you know the company that's backing it. Yeah, which there's you can look at it from that perspective but being on your side we're actually taking care of the patient where you know you're responsible not us you know right wrong or different you're responsible for that patient 
how how do you think about those three and kind of maybe the level of importance on your side instead of just looking at it from our side as the rep, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the, the it depends on what you consider, you know, like more of a commodity product. Like, sure. You know, if it's a, you know, a, a, a basically most anchors are anchors for the most part, you know, and kind of, you know, if you're doing fracture work, I mean, these plates and screws are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. Then it's a heavy rep weight as far as sure. you're getting the equipment there. I think a lot of people don't understand really what it takes, you know, to kind of get all the, you know, everything ready for a case is, you know, on the back end. Mm -hmm. You're getting your equipment there, making sure it's, you know, it's ready to go. The, yep. everything's set up, um, you know, and there, there aren't things missing, for example, you know, which can happen, you know, because they're not processing these things, yeah. you know, but ultimately they're responsible from a rep standpoint, you know, so I think that the, um, I don't see company as being a huge weight, you okay. know, I mean, I think yeah. people that, you know, maybe, you know, consultants for companies would probably have a different weight on that, Sure. for example, uh, which I'm not. Uh, so I don't see company as yeah. being like, cause people don't say, are you using, you know, you know, this company, they don't really, patients don't care. They don't know, Yeah. you know, and as long as the product is quality, you know, I don't think if you, if you had a product, for example, that was, you know, clearly better, yeah. you know, I think you have to use a better product, but yeah. a lot of these things aren't necessarily better. It's just another way to do it, mm -hmm. you know, and the, then that's where the rep weight comes in, you yeah. know, or yeah. if you, your service is really good, the, the, the back, the, the patient or the, um, you know, the team is comfortable uh, with the rep that comes in. Because yeah, there's a lot of things that, that we that we don't see, you know, that they help the OR staff, they help the SBD person, you know, they're making sure the the, the, the shelves are stocked, you know, sure. and, you know, again, makes it, makes it run smooth. Kind of like a referee where you really notice the referee as long as it's ref well, <laughs> you know, but if it's not yeah. ref well, you clearly call them out. Yeah. You know, and that's the same way with, you know, with the, the representation that we have is that, you know, you, as long as the case runs smooth, we don't really notice that, you sure. know, and, until you look back on it. Yeah. And I think the longer you do this, the, the more you see value in, in a good rep in the room. Yeah. And, you know, you try to align yourself with those people. You have mm -hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's um, another kind of more so just a little bit curious, what as you've evolved in your practice, obviously you did your fellowship 13 years ago. Um, how much have your techniques changed as far as how you're doing procedures over that time period? Obviously, products are developed, new techniques are developed, whether it's by the companies, whether it's by the surgeons, whether it's a combination of the two. Uh, how much have you seen the evolution of how you actually treat those patients? And, and maybe the other kind of flip side to that is at what level is a rep responsible for, or has a, a rep been responsible for bringing a new technique to you or a new way of looking at doing a procedure? Or is that more so you're going to these, you know, three conferences a year, you've got your surgeon peers who are probably doing research, if not yourself, uh, whether anecdotal or actual, you know, published research, how much of that the evolution of your practice comes down to, you know, a rep being involved in that. And if not at all, like, which is, you know, if, if it's 0%, like absolutely say zero. Yeah, yeah. Zero percent. <laughs> zero. <laughs> um, I, I remember it, so was, when I was at Michigan, it was one of the joint guys, Andy Urquhart, that I was working with. And he was like very, like all the tech, like the stuff that you learn now, it's all going to be different. And that has been so true. 
and I mean, we're still doing rotator cuffs and total knees and all this stuff, but I mean, it, the way you're doing things continues to evolve as it should. Yeah. You know, like if you look at a TV 15 years ago, it's much different or a phone or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. orthopedics is obviously very technical and that continues to advance as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that a lot of that is just inherently just improvement. Yeah. Um, with the, you know, I think that the, the reps that are, that I work with are, you know, covering, you know, what I think that are some of the, the, the some, some really good guys in town, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's, it's just what you're talking about all the time when you're in there, you're talking about orthopedics and you're talking about, you know, fixing rotator cuffs and doing ACLs. And, you know, it's just always that sort of back and forth of, you know, how people are doing things and we go to courses and when they're going to, you know, training, what they're yeah. learning. And I think that it's just that sort of, you're just immersed in it. And, and that's why I kind of think that, that practicing, like if you only practice like part-time or every once in a while, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's for me at least, it's a bad way to go because I think it's almost like you're either all in or you're all out, yeah. you know, for my style, if you will. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that you, 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 I mean, if you were like to, to like take a step back and got out of it and, and you, it would be challenging, I think, to just jump back in mm-hmm. because it's always changing. You're always talking about it. And I think you probably take it for granted on some level. Yeah. You know, so I do think that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the reps that I work with have brought a lot, you know, I think they've been pretty cautious too. I think it's important. So you go to a course and, and your company says, Hey, push this widget cause it's better. And you know, then you push it and it fails. And then you kind of don't, you, you kind of lose a little bit of your ability to introduce new product, if you will. Yeah. Cause the last time yeah. you did it, 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 it got screwed up. Absolutely. For example. So Absolutely. I think that part of that is, you know, you want to kind of let time vet it a little. Mm-hmm. So if you get a new mm-hmm. product, you may want to see that, how that goes over the next six months before you, you know, you introduce that to your surgeon. Yeah. You know, because yeah. If, if you do that a, few, a couple times, you may not get the opportunity to have a third. Yeah. You know, I've, I've actually talked about that on, on the podcast on one of them. I don't, I don't remember which one, but um, there's a certain level of trust and confidence that the doctor has to have. The rep. If I'm going to bring a new product to you, like, <laughs> did this come out yesterday? Do we have any data showing that it's actually going to work? Because if I if I bring you a new product and say, oh, this is the best thing, because I was at a, you know our training last week and it's the new product that the company's right. selling, like, and it costs $150 more. So obviously that's what we want to sell. If me or anybody listening as the rep goes down the road of, hey, hey doc, let me show you this new product. It's so great, and that doesn't go well. And it's a combination of either you not you don't really know it that well yet because it's new, or some of the kinks aren't worked out in the product itself, or you're just flat out overselling the capabilities of that product. You're going to burn some bridges pretty quickly Correct. with the physician, the surgeon that you're trying to, to develop that relationship with. So you know that's um, I guess that's my rant on on that, but I I've definitely seen that. For sure. No, it's true. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, we don't take lightly, you know? Yeah. Because we're still looking at paying it. You know, we're ultimately, we're the ones putting it in, right? Yeah. But, you know, yeah. when people come in and they sort of like, that's part of our, you know, due diligence. Yeah. But you, again, like you, you, you discuss trust and that's, you, you develop a relationship with people, you know, not only on a, you know, a, a professional level, but you're there. At the end of the day, you're working with these people so much. I mean, they're your friends as well. Yeah. You know, so you, you know, you expect them to have really, again, I'll go back to patience, the patient's best interest. It's mm-hmm. not 
our best interest or the ref's best interest. I mean, it's the patient's best interest. Absolutely. You know, and that's really, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing is that you leave a case and you're happy with, you know, what you did and you feel like you gave your best effort. And when it comes to product, it feels like you, you use the best product, yeah. you know, and get the job done. Yeah, yeah. And, and how much of what you use now is a, is a kind of a, just an outflow of what you learned in your fellowship? You know, because I feel like especially a lot of, a lot of guys that come out of their fellowship, they learn to do things one way, and that's just kind of how they do them. Yeah. And, it, and there's a certain level of you know being creatures of habit, but also I've done it this way, and my patient have done really well. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't want to see your new product. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm good. You know, what's I guess from your honest standpoint, if if a rep approaches you, and let's say let's say it's a new rep, so something that you don't necessarily have a relationship with, because it's it's much easier for a rep that you've worked with for five ten years who has developed that level of trust to be able to present something to you. Maybe it's a new rep that, that wants to show you a new device or something like that. What What is, you, from your perspective as the actual surgeon, what's the way that you feel like would be most appropriate of going about that? Um, whether that's, in to clarify, whether that's, you know, in clinic, between surgical cases, how do I, how do I reach out to you, go through your medical assistant, we'll talk to the lady at the front desk. What does that look like uh, in your in your mind. Are you talking about for new reps that are gonna, you know, kind of pitch a product? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, some of us are pretty tough to get a hold of, you know, so, you know, people can reach out, you know, some do it through clinics, some people sort of like try to get you in between cases, mm -hmm. you know, and I think there's, everybody's different as far as, you know, how you're best approached, Yeah. you know, and I don't think there's like a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that's a typical, you know, way is, you know, try to, you know, either do a launch or, you know, catch you in between cases. I mean, I guess that's probably the, mm -hmm. you know, pro probably the most typical ways. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Everybody's different as far as, you know, yeah. I don't think it's one way. Yeah, there definitely isn't. There definitely isn't. Um, so one of the other topics I wanted to quickly address is medical tourism. This is kind of like a new term that, you know, when I was looking up your practice, I saw for probably one of the first times. Can you give me and the listeners an idea on what medical tourism is and kind of what that looks like for your practice? Yeah, so it really from a medical tourism standpoint, you know, it's either, you know, kind of abroad or kind of in the United States where mm -hmm. somebody, you know, feels, you know, for example, like maybe they see us on, you know, Instagram doing cases yep. and they need that surgery and they sort of can connect and relate with what we're doing. Yeah. You know, though, you know, we can we come up with packages where patients can, you know, kind of fly in. You know, we're able to do their, you know, their surgery, you know, and typically they'll stay around uh, for a week or so afterwards, okay. you know, from a, a kind of a brief post-operative period. Um, and then we're, we'll, they'll be with our PT and then we'll make sure from a handoff <laughs> standpoint that we're, whenever they go back to wherever they're from, you know, that there's, you know, communication between, for example, therapist to therapist, physician yeah. to physician. Uh, so that's kind of in the U.S. and obviously with Canada, with their health system, we're seeing, you know, Canadians come down, yeah. you know, for... You know, they, it's going to take, you know, 12 months to get their knee scoped and they don't want to wait that long. And Phoenix yeah. is a typical, you know, um, landing spot for a lot of Canadians anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, they're out here for the winter and whatnot. So, you know, we'll, we do that for those folks as well. Very cool. That, that when I read that first time, that seems like a, a very unique and honestly, like, excellent offering for patients. Especially, you know, like, the majority of patients don't really know. And maybe they're in a part of the country where they don't have a highly specialized surgeon to be able to go to. And, you know, offering something like this seems like a very unique and forward-thinking and progressive approach to being able to treat 
get patients who need certain treatments, get them that treatment by somebody who is the expert. Right. So, um, how would somebody, you know, how would somebody actually connect with your office about that? What's the, you know, if somebody's listening to the podcast and they say, you know, myself or somebody could probably benefit from this, how do they do that? Do they just reach out to your office directly and ask? Yeah, so basically, front, you know, kind of the, the call in, 602 734 is our okay. number. And then we have a, uh, uh, Alicia is doing that for us. She's part of our, um, you know, medical tourism um, coordinator. Okay. So then she kind of takes it from there. So we get, you know, with the, in the U.S., with the insurances, we make sure that, you know, everything, you know, from a, for people that don't know, there are typically three components to that, the surgeon, the anesthesia, and then surgery center or hospital. So we come and, and we, we figure out what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously from a patient standpoint, there are no sort of surprises. They kind of know kind of a yeah. you know responsibility, if you will. Uh, so she does that for us and she does a nice job with it. Excellent, excellent. So I'll, I'll put that in the uh, in the notes as well, uh, the phone number and uh, Alicia, you said, yes. who runs that. So if you guys have questions on that or maybe that's something you'd like to learn more about, uh, reach out to her. So. Um, so maybe as we as we kind of close this up, because I realize we're running longer than I had asked for, and I don't want to be don't want to be that guy. Um, your I've seen you guys as integrator of orthopedics expanding, you know, building a new building. I see that on social. I don't really know the details of that. What is that about? What's with the kind of expansion of your practice? Yeah. So as our practice has grown, we really saw the need to kind of open up a little bit more space. Yeah. You know, sort of really opening up a state of the art um, clinic. Yeah, about six minutes from where we are now. Okay. So yeah, we're uh, we should be live in uh, January of uh, 2020, and uh, you know we're gonna have kind of the same sort of bigger clinic space. Our therapy is really gonna be expanded. So we're gonna have about close to uh, 5,500 square feet for PT. Okay. You know, so that's gonna be pretty exciting. Our new therapists are really happy about that. And that's under one roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very so nice. um, we're uh, rolling with that. I walk by it probably every year I go by it every, you know, typically every week. Yeah. You know, it's been kind of fun to, you know, watch that go up and, and kind of really come to come to life. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Good yeah. for you. Thanks. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's been kind of fun to see from afar because kind of, a, a, let's say three, four years ago, it was a lot of consolidation and you see a lot of, you know, orthopedic groups, smaller orthopedic groups getting gobbled up, at least in the Midwest by some of the bigger hospital organizations, but to be able to see somebody that has kind of the business mindset as well from your MBA, but also being able to put that into practice where you have all of the treatments under one roof, uh, you know, that, that seems just like the evolution of the best way to handle your patients. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Congrats on that. So uh, January, 2020, you guys got to check it out. If, uh, if you, or you've got a family member or loved one in, uh, in the area, Tell them to, and they have an orthopedic injury, or they can come by and just say hi Check and look it at it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but look up integrated orthopedics. Um, well, uh, I think we'll probably close it out like that. So thank you. I really appreciate the time. We went a little bit longer, but hopefully, uh, hopefully this was helpful for uh, the listeners to the podcast. And uh, be sure to follow Dr. Gruber online. Uh, look up integrated orthopedics if you know somebody that's in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Um, you know, this, he would be a very, very good surgeon to, uh, to connect with. And if you have an injury or something like that, he would be a very good option to go to. So I appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this with me. Thanks, Goldie. Thanks for coming in, man.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Medical Sales Certification Podcast. And as you know, we give all of our content and training away for free. So it would really mean a lot to me if you could subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. And if you thought that this episode in particular was helpful, consider sending it to somebody you know who you think could benefit as well. Thanks again, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye.